Hello and welcome to a brand new podcast. Uh, my name is Arash Kashmiri and I'm joined here by Eli Hodap. And we were thinking it's been a really long time since I did a Walled Garden Weekly. And Eli's got some stuff he wants to talk about that he doesn't talk about on the Touch Arcade show. So we thought, hey, we both like talking a lot. Let's let's make a podcast and throw it out there and see if anybody listens to it. So yes. we don't have a title yet. It's going to be Arash and Eli talk about games. <laughs> we have some tentative titles, but they're not safe for work. I yeah, we can't. Be. Yeah, no. <laughs> we tried We tried Gamesturbation. That, that's not going to fly with the iTunes people. No. What other ideas did we have? Uh, I don't, I don't want to repeat them. The, the, the games guys. Yeah. I don't know. They're all really bad. So if you have ideas for us and we haven't picked one by the time you hear this, please send them in. Yeah. <laughs> we, we need your help. Um, but anyway, yeah, let me, let's do some quick introductions. Uh, so, uh, like I said, my name is Rash Kashmiri and I'm here in Palo Alto, California. Um, we're about half an hour South of San Francisco. And, um, I have a, a little game studio called Limbic. We've been working on it for about six years. Um, we've, uh, we're kind of one of the early, early birds in the, uh, iOS pool. Uh, we did a couple games. Um, the most famous are probably Tower Madness and Zombie Gunship. And, uh, we're now we're about nine people, um, kind of distributed all over the world. And we, we focus mostly on technology for our games. So we build our own proprietary engines and, um, we, we try to take a, a unique approach to game design that, that sets us apart from maybe other studios that are, that are following kind of what's hot. We like to try to do different things, but you um, should yeah. mention that you guys have like 40 years of combined education. <laughs> yeah. We're all founders. like overeducated. It's true. We, we all have like master's degrees and parts of PhD degrees and stuff. It's uh, yeah, three co-founders and, uh, we're all, we're all engineers. We met in grad school. So um, but yeah, it, I love to talk about uh, talk about games in the industry, and so um, I'm looking forward to doing a lot of that on the show. Yeah, cool. Uh, I'm Eli Hodep. You probably know me from Touch Arcade. Um, been doing that since I joined Touch Arcade on a full time basis, I guess in 2009, maybe. Uh, the site's been around since 2008. Uh, basically, trolled my way on there, and then I guess Arnold fell in love with me, and the rest was history. So um, you know, we we do. Tons of daily content about, it seems weird to even describe what we do. Like, who would be listening to this doesn't know Touch Arcade, right? Yeah, I mean, I hope everybody. Maybe. I don't know. I guess if, you, I guess if this is the first experience you have to Touch Arcade, uh, we have an app that's okay. It hasn't been updated in forever. Um, we have a whole team of guys that are basically iOS enthusiasts and just love everything to do with the App Store and iOS gaming and all that stuff. And we've kind of since turned into the authority in iOS gaming, I guess. Um, just by being the biggest, best, you know, most editorial focused kind of site out there. Um, and yeah, I guess I met you at 360 iDev back when you guys were. Yeah, it was a really long time ago. I remember I I walked up to you and I was like, Hey, uh, are you Eli Hodap? And you're like, yeah. And I was like, Hey, I have a game to show you. And you were something like, you know, you told this story and you're like, I hope it's not a match three. And I'm like, no, it's not a match three. And you're like, Hmm, is it a triangle matching game? And I was like, no, it's not a triangle matching game. And you're like, okay, I'll I'll take a look. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like your tower madness was super new at the time. Like hadn't it just come out then or. Yeah, it was right around the beginning. It was 2000 or mid 2009 we released it. I think May of 2009. Yeah, I mean it was it was just a the whole thing was just this one big experiment where we we're like, let's build a game and see what happens. I mean, we weren't we weren't kind of entrepreneurs in the classic sense where people get out and they're like, I'm going to start a company and get rich. It was more just like we want to build games and maybe somebody will play them. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because we both kind of started around the same time on App Store stuff, just on totally different sides of it. Like that 360 item was actually where I met Jared the first time too. Really? Oh, interesting. So it was okay. kind of like, yeah, like the start of everything. And it's kind of strange thinking back to the history of the app store and realizing like that was such a scrappy convention. 
Right. But like all the people there since like became super successful. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It was, it was probably less than 300 people and everybody kind of got to know everybody else. And everybody in that, at that point was so, so early on that they were, they were serious. You know, they were like the real tinkerers, the real uh, uh, people that were excited about playing with this new tech. It wasn't, it wasn't about the money back then because nobody knew that well, there wasn't was any the market. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, the people that were making money were like, Oh my God, we made 10 grand. This is amazing. <laughs> I remember, uh, at, and maybe this was the same 360 I did. It was, I think Will Shipley was on stage. Probably. And, um, he was, he was talking about, he had this thing where he was like, okay, so everybody who's made, um, more than a hundred dollars, like raise your hands. Oh, I remember this and definitely then, like, was that event. I remember Put your this. hands down if you've made more than like, or if you've made less than a thousand dollars and put your hands down if you've made less than $10,000. And I remember like the last hand went down at like $50,000 or something. Yeah. yeah. It was really, I mean, it was tiny and that's, <laughs> that's like, that's how much Candy Crush makes in a minute. Yeah. That's, I don't know. It's just wild to think of the scale now, but you know, whatever. Yeah. So cool. I guess we'll see what, what happens in the future because it's hard to it's hard to imagine that kind of thing being duplicated again on any marketplace. Like I think the reason it worked on the app store is because everyone was like, uh, I don't know, what's this? Some weird Apple niche thing? No thanks. Right. Exactly. It's interesting too. I mean, there's people are waiting for another market like that to happen again. I hear a lot of indies. You know, they have their they're starting to tie themselves up to the idea of well, AR VR is going to be the next big thing. And if you look at analysts, I was, I was hearing a report that like AR and VR are going to intersect market size of mobile by 2020. Um, at something like some crazy number of billions of dollars. Um, and uh, it, it's interesting to me because with mobile, you know, that, that sort of uh, shark sitting at the edge of the swimming pool environment didn't really exist. Everybody no. was, was kind of, they weren't like, oh, we're totally anticipating mobile to be a big thing. Um, I remember when I told people that I'm starting a mobile games company, they were like legitimately concerned for me. They were like, I, I think you're throwing away your life and you're not well, going to uh, make yeah. any money doing this and let me know if you need a place to crash. Seriously? Because oh, back in the day, that was like a mobile game company meant you were going to make like super shitty J2ME games on exactly. Nokia phones that no one would know about because you were hidden in some Verizon content portal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was going to be like Snake 3 and <laughs> mostly black and white except for some phones. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. So, but I mean, the thing with, with VR, AR uh, is that there's there's so many people, there's so much expectation right now hung up on that whole market. Where you know everybody's like kind of swarming around Oculus for it to be this big release, and what's the store going to be, and are we going to be able to? But I, I just feel like the thing that people are forgetting is that with mobile, we were building on a device that had another purpose than to play games. Right, and, and it then, felt like everything made sense. Like you didn't need um, someone to sell you on the idea of even having an iPhone. It was like, oh, I have a phone now. This phone's a little cooler. Let me get this one. Exactly. Like I feel like that is going to be the major, major stepping stone for VR. Is like convincing the people that turn the iPhone into such a massive success um, to, you know, put a virtual reality headset on. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's tough. And I, I think it's, there's so many issues with how you play it. It's It goes back to, I think of it kind of like the people that are really tied up to iPad gaming, where they, they feel like, oh yeah, people are going to pick up their iPad instead of their console because it's got so much more power. I mean, the problem with with both of those those environments is that they're, they're isolating, right? You can't play a VR game with your friends. You can't right. play a VR well, game I mean, when you're you waiting could, for the but bus. Everyone needs to have their PC there, and yeah, it's it's kind of like old school LAN party sort of type of situation. Right. Yeah, so uh, it's going to be interesting, and then of course there's also the issue of, of having a machine that supports it. Well, I mean, I, I, my theory with that is like, so you need a high end gaming PC now to run, you know, whatever they're calling the the CK one or CV one or whatever the, the right. high end Oculus Rift they're releasing is, but. When you think about the rate that mobile tech is advancing, like how many years is going to take before, you know, the 2015 or I guess early 2016 high-end gaming PC is your yeah, phone? That's true. Basically, you know. Yeah, I mean, we saw that 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 
that gap narrow pretty quickly between phone and console. So, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that'll having it be mobile will help, especially in the case of AR. Um, so yeah, we're just gonna have to see. It's, it, I think it comes down to us not looking so much at what is the games market for this, but it's like, what is the other market for this thing? Right. Um, with a lot of these AR tools, you know, you're starting to see these applications, which is like mom and pop type stuff where it's like, well, if you put on this AR headset, you can look at your bedroom and then you can go to Ikea and like pick some things and then see them in your own real life bedroom. Um, or you can, you do these types of things where it's like, while you're driving, it'll show you the driving instructions like written out on the road in front of you. These types of applications where it's, it's applicable to daily life and then people are buying the device for those reasons. Um, getting I, that. Yeah. But what's fascinating to me about that specifically though, is how do you like, there's, it's very difficult to convey that experience to someone in the forms of marketing that we have now. I mean, like, yeah, that's, exactly. that's all I was thinking. Like when we were sitting at the Oculus event in San Francisco at the tail end of WWDC was like, they were showing like, so I had tried the demos that they were, they were showing off there at GDC, you know, I guess a month or so before. Right. And like the T-Rex demo that they started the event out with, like when you have the headset on, that is amazing. Like, you know, yeah, like, yeah. you know, hair on the back of your neck raising, kind of like freaking. Right. That's right but in front of you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. When you watch a trailer of it, you're like, all right, well, yeah, I've, I've seen Jurassic Park. Like this, this looks the same, you know? <laughs> so like, that, I feel like that is going to be the massive hurdle. Like all yeah, the yeah. How like, do you advertise that? Problems, it, like, right. yeah, platform problems are solved. Like everything else. It's just, you how don't, do you... you don't get it until you try it out. It, it's like trying to sell a, a color TV when everybody's got black and white. You can't show a commercial for a color TV and have people understand what that is. Right. Um, it is, it's a tough challenge. And, and I, I think it's interesting that, that the idea of giving people demos, but then how does that scale? I, I start to think of things like, I don't know, when we were kids, like you go to Toys R Us, I think this still exists. Like they have the, the Super Nintendo or whatever, and you, you sit and you play it for like 15 minutes and you're like, oh my God, Super Mario right. World looks so much better than my, my shitty 8-bit Nintendo at home. And then you start to think about buying it. it I, I feel like <clears throat> for Oculus to work, it's going to be the same thing. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm also kind of curious, like, what the price point is going to be. Like, what what would what would kill it for you? Like, what's your personal price point where you're like, oh fuck it, I'd never buy that. It's ridiculous. It's too much. Yeah, I mean, it's going to have to be. I, I think the sweet spot for these guys is going to be somewhere in the like three to four hundred range to begin with. It's got to be like priced like a console. I think if it's much more than that, I don't know that it's going to get that much adoption. Well, consider the uh, Galaxy Gear, which is legitimately a piece of plastic with lenses. Yeah, cost two hundred dollars right now. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like when you when you compare that to the value proposition of the Oculus, which includes, you know, top end headset with display and all the, you know, gizmos that make it work, like the thing right. that goes on your desk, the Xbox controller. I mean, if they get it under 400 bucks, I'm going to be shocked. Well, well, but similarly, I mean, look at an iPhone, right? Look how much stuff is in that thing and they're selling it for what is it unlocked now? 600 something, 700, 800. Yeah. Um, but still, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like for virtual reality to meet the mass market kind of thing that they need. Um, I don't know. It's going to have to be way cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. Like absolutely. way cheaper to the point that I don't even think it's possible to hit that price point. What do you At think? Least, do you think it should be like a hundred bucks? Well, I think the galaxy gear should be like free. Right. You know, right. like on the level of like the Google cardboard stuff, cause there's nothing to it. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, as close to free as humanly possible. And that's like your, your basic like entry level VR experience. And then mm -hmm. like, if you want something more like the Oculus, like, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks maximum for the consumer level, you know, because that's the thing, like, like, especially Facebook has a, you know, a billion dollars in Oculus right now. So right. they need this to be more than, you know, like PC Master Race subreddit people to, to buy it, you know? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, just, they've got to find, there, there still has to be the thing, like if, if my, and I'm not even talking about let's get moms on Oculus, but it's like, let's get, let's get people that aren't traditionally that, that master race category uh, right. to go out and buy this thing. How are you going to sell them? What, what entertainment experiences are you going to offer them? But I mean, like really the moms are what's powered mobile, really. Yeah, it's true. When you, Absolutely. When you look at, so that, I, I feel like that is the most important market segment of any new tech product when you're, sure, sure. You know, well, but that said, it. I mean, at the beginning, iPhones didn't end up in the hands of moms. They were, they were in the hands of these early adopters. I mean, people, I remember when I had the first iPhone, people were like, whoa, you spent so much money on a phone, oh, yeah. you're crazy, and this is I insane. I got made fun but of then, so much, it was Yeah, insane. right, it was like, you know, millionaire playboy Eli. So yeah. it, the whole thing turns <laughs> into, uh, 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 it, it's like the status symbol at first, but then I think as it starts to to, to spread out and uh, homologate within people, you get you get the, the moms coming in. They come in at a second stage. I don't think anybody's won the moms at the beginning. No, that's true. Um, yeah. But inevitably, I mean, you almost see it like my mom bought it because I had an iPhone and I was always showing her like, look at how easy Maps is. This is so, so great. Like, why are you using your, ter- your terrible candy bar phone? And then, and then she went and got one because she liked this particular feature. I, I see <laughs> it as, you know, the kids get one and then their mom's like, oh, what's that? Let me try it on. And after she's done puking, she's like, oh, that was a really cool experience. I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know. So have you tried the, the new Oculus, like the, the I, latest yeah. kit? Right. It's Crystal the, Cove the retail or something. One? I have. Or do so you I have the Dev tried the I've tried the one that came after the dev kit too that they haven't released. Okay. So, um, well, it's weird talking to people about it because there's so many different iterations of it. Right. That it's like, when I tried it at E3, I was, I was blown away that they've solved every single problem from dev kit too. Mm-hmm. Like, especially it was even crazier going between the two because after we left that, yeah. uh, that was the first time Jared had tried the Oculus. Okay. And I was like, dude, you got to try another demo. Like, like the demo that they did was all right, but yeah. like the yeah. dinosaur one's way better. Like, let's see right. who we can scrounge up around here that's doing that one. Yeah, exactly. And Crytek was doing a really cool demo, but it was on the dev kit too. Oh, so okay. it was shocking going from the, what's supposed to be the retail unit to dev kit too. Right. It was night and day, which is, I guess, really reassuring for anyone into VR. The the interesting thing for me is that I think that the just the well let's get technical a little bit about it. So the DK2 had this lens issue that I that really bothers me where if your eyes aren't perfectly centered in the sweet spot of that lens, you get all these crazy chromatic aberration like the colors, the blues and the reds start to shift and it it's incredibly like image quality reducing. It gets blurry. Um, it's really dependent on you having a like as an eye spacing that's that's within a very limited range that they support. So if your head is slightly larger or your head is too small or your eyes are far apart, that kind of thing, it really really affects your experience. And I my sense was that they fixed that on the on the newer version. Yeah, well, there's a slider now even on the, the what's going to be the retail version that you can. Yeah. Moving back and forth, it makes so. a huge, huge difference. Because the thing is, like, I've, I've had people who try on my DK two, and, and they try it for a while, and they're like, "Oh, this this isn't isn't too bad." And then I'm like, "Hey, just pull it down a little bit until it's centered." And then they're like, yeah, "Oh they're my like, god, oh my wow, god, now yeah, it's amazing!" <laughs> so there's there's a little bit of like fine tuning it requires, which brings me to my next point. So the thing with Oculus is that while the demos are cool, and you're like, "Hey, I can really like I'm getting into this. This is neat." What I found to be really compelling was when I took it home and plugged it into an actual game. So there's one called Elite Dangerous where you're flying spaceships around in a galaxy. Yeah, I haven't tried this yet. It's on my on my to do list. Yeah, it's really cool because when you sit down and play in the Oculus for like an hour and you're playing an experience where you're really controlling it and you're invested in the actual game, it becomes less about the 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 just well, what am I in? I'm in a virtual world, and it's more like, well, how does this affect how I play this game? Yeah. Um. And and when there's actual gameplay that you care about involved, it becomes cool because you're doing dogfights and stuff, and you're looking up and around, and you start to really use the head tracking. Um, and, and inside that game, they've done a really good job of making the cockpit really interactive. So you're looking around at different displays and it, it really, really, really adds to the immersion of that game. So here's my question then. Do you think in the future, 
um, some kind of like virtual reality sickness or similar kind of mental issue is going to become a thing. I mean, cause like the new Oculus uh, previously, like the dev kit too, like I can wear it for like 15, 20 minutes at a time before yeah. it's like, I got to take like, this is like immediately when you put it on, it's obvious you're not like there. It's not normal. Like, oh, right. Yeah. Like it's not normal. And your brain's like, your brain's fighting against it the whole time. And you eventually yeah. reach a point where you're like, all right, I got to take this off. Right. But the, the one they demoed at E3, like that sensation was not there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, say, they did a good job with that. And like, I feel like the longer I spend in the Oculus as I have at my house, the harder it is to kind of come down to reality as weird right. as that is. Right. You, know, like yeah. you take it off and it's like, whoa, this is, this feels weird. This now. feels weird. There's depth to things, you know? So, uh, I've actually done some research on, on what the primary cause of what this is, uh, comes from. And, and one of the big things that these, so, so what is 3d for our eyes, right? It's that your eyes see different things and they, they see things from a perspective that's slightly displaced, right? So your, your brain can infer the shape and depth of objects. So, um, with a lot of VR tech, we've got that, right? We were showing two different independent displays. And, and so you see like, okay, yeah, like the cockpit of my spaceship is closer than, than the, the asteroids that are further out because it, it moves more between my two eyes. Um, but the issue that we don't actually capture with a lot of these displays is the fact that our, our eyes have a secondary sense of depth. So if you cover up one of your eyes, you can still sense depth because your eyes actually, um, they can learn something from the way they focus. So if you have um, like your monitor is right next to you and then you've got like the window behind you, um, your eye knows that it has to focus a different way to see the stuff that's beyond. Um, and from that, it can also infer depth. So, so if it's like I'm focused at, it knows like basically what range it's focused to. So if it knows that it's focused to about a meter, it knows that, okay, the things that are crisp are about a meter away. And when it's focused at, you know, 20 meters, it says, well, the things that are not in focus are either, you know, really close to me or, or even further away. Um, and, and to this, to the, as far as I know, like none of the technology released captures this, this actual focusing it's possible, but you'd have to have a lot more complex lens system, um, to be able to do that. But, uh, if they were to capture that as well, then I think it would give you a, a much more relaxed sense of 3D. Yeah. I mean, even you have to always look forward. Like that is, that's what's yeah. kind of weird. Like that's the yeah. adjustment between this is weird and okay, I'm used to this now is when you, when you get used to just locking your eyes straight forward. Yeah, exactly. Which, you, and you oh. can kind of look around a little bit, but yeah, the view is, view is really limited. So I'm actually curious. So for you, uh, where is it that you get the most nausea. In, in my case, it's been, if I, if I have a, an image that doesn't have, um, any motion to it, like for example, one thing that'll make me super nauseous really quickly is if I just look at a photo in my Oculus and I turn my head around. So basically my, what I'm seeing isn't changing, but my, my head is moving. Um, like I can, I can make myself nauseous in like two minutes that way. Right. No, that is, that, that is exactly what it's like a light switch for me because like when I did the GDC demo, um, it actually crashed. Yeah, mid, exactly. That's mid-thing. the worst. And like yeah. the the image locked, and I went from like, oh, this is awesome, to like seriously, like almost feeling like I need to throw up like right then and there. Instant nausea. And, and it's it funny. was crazy. Yeah. Like I've never experienced anything that my in my life. You know, like usually when you're nauseous, you're like, oh, I don't feel good. Oh, I'm right. feeling worse. Right. It's a gradual worse. process. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually had a feeling like once when I did that, I think I was I was uh, it, it, same thing had happened. It crashed, and I was trying to use Windows like in my Oculus, um, and my I was like moving my head ever so slightly i could actually feel something in my brain going like ow ow this is bad ow stop doing that kind of it was a weird like like physically sensible disconnect happening um what's interesting is that the opposite of that is less nauseating so if you see motion in the oculus um but you're not moving that's okay so i've I've sometimes tried some of the like 3d let's play videos where people just you know send the the two 
what do you call it? Like two, two viewport um, videos onto YouTube and you can just like full screen that onto your Oculus and watch it. Those are perfectly fine as long as you hold your head still. Um, then it's, I mean, it's essentially just like a 3D movie. It's not really yeah. any different. Um, and we're, we're pretty used to that as, as people. Although I think that may be something that we've acclimated to as well. Because I know there are some people who like don't watch TV, don't watch movies, don't play video games, where that also makes them really nauseated if, if the game is showing, you know, rotation and movement. Um, yeah. But they don't feel it in, in their... Um, in their sensory organs. So, but do you think that, um, Oculus addiction is going to become a thing in the future? Well, it's gotta be right. I mean, this sort of escapist idea is, is even more, uh, pronounced with, with this type of technology. I mean, you definitely feel more immersed. Like when I'm playing, uh, elite, like I want to be in that spaceship all the time because it's freaking sweet. Right. Um, and it's, it's much more immersive than watching the spaceship from my TV. And, and that idea of just being there, you really feel like you're there. Um, does that enhanced realism produce more of a an addiction? I, I probably does. I wouldn't be surprised. I think it's going to be a huge, huge problem for them. I mean, like when you look at when EverQuest came out, right? Remember, like all the negative press that got from people like, "Oh, I'm so addicted. I never want to leave EverQuest and all that." So yeah. imagine, like that same compulsion that has been proven to work on people like for decades now, right? But enhanced to a way that is so good that you can literally just walk away from reality entirely. And really, well, you'll need to take it off to like go to the bathroom, maybe. Sure, yeah, or maybe just take it with you. Yeah, um, and that becomes or maybe a, just wear a diaper. A virtual experience. Well, I mean, it's just to ask you to take a step further. Is is if it were just if you put on the Oculus and it was real, like you 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 go from you know you take you take the Oculus off and you're Eli Hodap and you put the Oculus on and you're like Richard Branson. Would you ever want to not be Richard Branson? I don't know. Right. That's uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like that's virtual reality right now to me is like a cool novelty, but I really just want to jump forward 10 years and see what happens. Right. I feel like all of these problems are going to need to be addressed. And if it's anything like the way technology problems have been addressed in the past, it's going to be very amusing to watch. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because the I, solutions will be super fucked up before they get right. <laughs> it's going to have an uncanny valley of VR. Um, you know, to take it back to mobile a little bit. So, so what was interesting about mobile is that as that as that market was growing, nobody had a perception of what this will be when it's perfect, right? There's no right. there's no standard of the perfect mobile device. We had some things like okay, it should be like a tricorder from Star Trek, and oh, it should be still like a virtual video phone, and like there were a lot of movies that tried to capture like what phones of the future were, but there was no sense of like what's the end game for this. But with, I mean, I'm, with I'm virtual, I still don't think we're there really. No, I don't think so either. But with virtual reality, like we all have a pretty clear conception of what virtual reality's end game is 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 actual reality. Right. right. So like the movie so, surrogates basically. Yeah, essentially that. So so we're 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 clear on our goal with this. We're 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 not with mobile. So mobile goes in, in any definable direction. Whereas with with virtual reality, you kind of you have a clear way. There's not really a like well, we're not really sure which way to take virtual reality. It's like, well, is it more real or isn't it more real? There's always yeah. this there's a pretty clear question you can ask. There's a really clear litmus test of is this taking us closer to reality or not? Um, so yeah, like you said, I think that's going to drive the development in a way that's really, really different from any consumer product we've, we've had. Well, so as someone that's tuned into kind of the tech of all the different options right now, I mean, do you think that like 10 years down the road is Oculus going to be a thing or is kind of super augmented reality, like, um, the HoloLens and Magic Leap going to be the dominant platform or do you think there's room for both? I, I think there's room for both. I mean, uh, from from an analyst perspective, I think the the official word is that VR is going to be smaller than AR, and it makes sense because there's just there's I feel like there's just less practical application for VR stuff than there is AR oh. stuff. Like I can use AR all day long, um, while with VR it's more of like confined to a certain couch experience. Um, but that said, personally, I I think that a lot of the AR tech is 
just maybe a little further along than the VR tech? Because VR has been as simple as let's just slap some screens on a headset and give it motion right. tracking. And I don't mean to oversimplify this and disrespect the people well, who are working was hard it? in this area. Did you, guys, did you guys go to E3 this year? We didn't, know. Dude, E3 this year was bananas because it was like the tech for VR is there. Like it's, it's you know, lenses everyone can right. make. Uh, right. screens you can buy from China for 10 cents a piece right now. <laughs> and, you know, you just basically need the casing to put it all together. So yeah. um, the amount of people selling their own VR headset now was ridiculous. Like the, the shitty controller accessory booth of like 2009 is now like the shitty virtual reality headset booth. That's fine. There's always some kind of something booth. Yeah. Interesting. So what was, what was your, your read on it? What did you think about uh, the AR versus VR thing? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like I... I wasn't able to try the HoloLens stuff, so I don't mm -hmm. really know. Um, it, it's hard to imagine just based on reading about it because, I mean, I you know we're both, both super nerds, so you probably read more sci-fi than most people. You know, so like this kind yeah. of thing is like, you know, stuff you grow up imagining and right, being exactly. like, oh, this is really cool, and now it's kind of here in a, in a certain way. So I, I feel like it's really hard to make any reasonable judgments based on accurate technology today when. Like you're reading the articles of people writing about it and you're imagining it based on like, you know, the sci-fi right. extreme of it. Right. So like, I guess the sci-fi extreme of AR versus where it's like a Google Glass type thing they have on my head mm -hmm. and it's just always around me, like that's going to win. But like, is it ever going to get there? At least reasonably one of, in our one, lifetime? One of the things I have yet to see from AR, and I really hope that there's some secret technology in some dark lab that's going to solve this, but one of the things that VR has that AR doesn't is that AR can't subtract light. So when you look at a scene, um, AR can only add to that. So it can draw things over it, but it can't, for example, like you couldn't have anything black in AR. Right. I mean, it's just like you a projector. Have, yeah, exactly. Basically. It's just like a projector. So there's no way to subtract light from what you're seeing. So it limits the range of, of the AR visual paradigm in a sense so so it can always kind of overlay but it'll always have this ghostly transparent sort of thing until they maybe they have some way to create opacity in that in that lens or view or whatever it is that you're, you're seeing through um, and then draw over that in a way um, but yeah I, I see that as being one of the big technological limitations of it because the things if you think about it if you had an AR headset that had that feature where it could actually black out what you're seeing then then it's VR and AR again it can right. be everything. It can show right. a viewport of, of VR somewhere. It can it can take over, and then it becomes it becomes all of the above, and it wins. Um, but I, I see that as a really big big challenge to people that are doing the clear display direction. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. I don't know. And I don't know. Maybe you you, put, you like put a card over it, and then it becomes like black on the back, and it gets more range. I don't know. Um, but for the most part, I, I still I still think it's 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 limited to being more informational. Yeah, um, than a, which than I think is really okay for experience. for a, a mass market thing. Like that's yeah. gonna be super useful. Like Absolutely. arguably way more useful than like running from a T Rex in an <laughs> Oculus. So, and I definitely don't want to be like driving with this AR headset and then have like a blue screen come up that totally obscures yeah. what I can see. So, <laughs> can you imagine the driving games though, like that you could make with an AR headset? I mean, you could create these like terribly dangerous like virtual reality race your friends like time trial down the highway with your own like ghost car. Oh God. Um, this this is it could be interesting. So so this is one more thing I want to attack onto this before we we move on is uh, we talked a little bit about this. I think it was you and I. Or I don't remember who it was, but like, what if you took Oculus and you combined it with drones? Uh, um, that would be amazing. Yeah, but where the you latency, have just two like, cameras. There's 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 no there's no technology that exists that could get the latency to where it would need to be. The latency would be barftastic. Absolutely. Yeah. Because um, like that was that was one of the things that really killed the first Oculus for me was when all those early mods for like Half Life and stuff like that were just yeah yeah you know they worked but they were like really janky right, and right. they they didn't track your head very well and that is 
super headache inducing. <laughs> but I would love to, man, strapping on Oculus and then like linking up to a drone in the future. Because like, then you could just, cow. you could be anywhere. It, it yeah. starts to move into the whole telepresence thing. And um, do we even need to be anywhere ever? Or could we just be in pods and just keep our bodies safe while we go and do all these exciting things with, I'm with our with eyes? That. Yeah, that could totally be totally fine with that. <laughs> that whole that whole idea of this distant future where like your body becomes this like sacred thing that you protect in a bank vault and then it's just you just move your your consciousness and your your senses around um is is a is an appealing thought for for this show when we do it again in, in the year 3010. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> cool. So, um one of the other things we wanted to do on this podcast is uh, is pick a particular game that that we think had a have a an interesting maybe an interesting developer perspective, an interesting insider perspective. Um so for this week we've chosen the game that everybody's kind of interested about uh which is which is Fallout Shelter. Um and this came out from from Bethesda uh, about what about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, or so. Yeah, um, right around the announced announcement the of Sunday before E3. Yeah, and around the announcement of Fallout Four, um, and it's you know I think initially when all of us heard about it, we thought, well, hey, this is like an adver game that's going to try to push Fallout Four. Right. Um, seems like a brilliant strategy. Let's get a game up in the charts and and, and get pre-orders up for our, our actual PC game where we make the money. But it turns out that this game actually stands on its own really well, and we've seen that it's uh, it's also been monetizing really well. Um, so I did that's some research. Surprising to me, though. Which part? That it's monetizing so well. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what's gotten everybody, is how did they get so high up the money charts? And So let me just keep going on the background, though, real quick. So uh, at first I was like, wait, Bethesda makes mobile games now? That's kind of odd. It turns out they've hired a company called Behavior Interactive, uh, deep within the credits, um, who is a, uh, a shop that does does uh, mobile work for, for lots and lots of big brands. Um, and they've, they've uh, certainly done a good job on this game. I have heard that there are a few people experiencing crashes, but by and, all, by and large, my, uh, my experience has been pretty... Pretty good from a from a player perspective, just in terms of the stability of the code and the quality and polish of the of the experience. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I guess before we get too into this, I would just like to say that I really do like this game, and most of my complaints are exceedingly pedantic. I feel like that's kind <laughs> of the point of these kind of discussions. So I don't yeah. I don't want anyone to listen to this and be like, "Oh wow, Eli really hates that game." Like, no, I've been playing it since it came out. Like, it's yep. great. But it's, there are so yeah. many ways it could have made it so much better that it's like almost kind of criminal as doing so well. <laughs> so let, let's dive in. I mean, basically, if you haven't played this before, you should probably pause the podcast and go actually play the game. But yeah, um, it's you're, manage, you're managing Download. a vault. Uh, it's got uh, you start out with what like 10, 10 people that are going into this vault. It's a post-apocalyptic world. This is like a, a shelter where people live for an extended period of time while most of the world is irradiated and unsafe. Um, More interesting than that though, like the it, in the Fallout universe, the vaults also typically were like social experiments of some right, kind. Right. Which I feel like is is the first major ball that they dropped here, and just kind of making it a sandbox instead of something that has more specific goals, more specific kind of, goals, and and also the, the the tests were somewhat nefarious too in the right. old, old Fallout games, where like some of them like didn't have food and some of them didn't have water, and other ones were programmed where like it was only men and only women, like all kinds of sort sort of. It reminds me of like the the really dark stuff that was done in Germany and Japan, like during the World War. World War II area where they're like testing on prisoners and things like that. Right. Um, so uh, it, it's it's interesting they they did miss that. Although I'm seeing lately there have been some fan efforts to try to replicate some of those ideas. Where like I saw one strategy where you like keep every single person pregnant inside your vault and you send the men out into the wasteland. <laughs> and so because pregnant women won't fight the radroaches or be hurt by fires, um, they live forever. So your entire vault is always on fire. Uh, Interesting. But but you have pregnant women running around screaming, and you can continue to grow that way. 
<laughs> so the pregnant women never like with all the men absent, they'll never give birth. Pregnant women and children. No, they will give birth when they when they give birth, you get them pregnant again. Oh, OK. Right that away. Makes sense. Immediately. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like I <laughs> I would love this game so much more if they kept like the same kind of free to play builder style and stuff like that. But maybe have you as the player like one more level higher and instead of an overseer of a specific vault, you are like the overseer of many vaults and you right, have to. Right. You know, you're getting like, you know, maybe not daily challenges, but challenges of, you know, like all the different objectives that you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, that you had to build vaults around because there's actually like multiple save slots in this. Right. Like exactly. It's not and a that's typical free to play game where it's like, that's oh, what I was going to say. Yeah. They really, it's interesting that they chose to do that. And I, I, as I played the game, so the first time I played the game, I laid out my vault really haphazardly. I like built a really huge living quarters that I totally didn't need. And then I had uh, no like resources to build water and food and stuff. So everybody was starving and hungry and irradiated. Um, and, and, and that was a, it was like, I got to a point where it was, wasn't really recoverable. And so then I, I was like, okay, screw this. I'm going to make a new one. And then I did better the second time. And then after that, I was like, wait a minute. No, I think i still did some things wrong. Um, I'm going to go in for a third time. One of the, the differences between this game and and a lot of the free to play games is that you can't really change anything. You can't take back your choices. Yeah. Um, That that really irritates me about this. And in almost all all of the other games, like I'm thinking about Clash of Clans and like Dominations and and a lot of these other games, like you can still like once you've placed a building, you can move it around again or um, you never need to have a need to like un-upgrade something. There's never a penalty for any choice that you make. Well, in this game, like you can totally do like the wrong thing and, and completely screw yourself. And there's no way at least. Well, so here's. Here's the, the caveat to what I'm about to say is the, the UI of the game seems very unintuitive. Like yeah. I'm, I'm surprised that as many people are playing it and playing it as long as they have been with the UI the way it is. Like it feels like they've done almost no user testing or if they did, it was just like so basic that they were just like, oh, well, whatever, don't worry about it. Because um, like if there's a way to delete rooms, I don't know how to do it. You can't. Well, you can. You have to go to the upgrade and then destroy it from there. But okay. then even then, like you can only delete rooms if they are um, not a, a path to another room. So you can't like trap people. Um, and then at the same time, like the money that it gives you back is way less than it costs originally. Okay. Um, so so I, I'm on my second vault as well. Yeah. And it was it was pretty irritating because like I had bought some internet purchase stuff and, and all right. that junk. And, you know, and that's locked to your specific vault. Exactly. Like, like the, exactly. the cards and things you unlock are not like you know tied to your account and, and i feel like that. this is something that free to play games try to be really careful about it's like okay save your characters and save your stuff and we'll do cloud saves for you and and nothing you buy gets destroyed by other players for the most part and everything is like there's this real sensitivity to let's keep the players who spend happy about the money they spent while with right. this one it's like you could spend you could spend a thousand dollars in the game lose all your vault dwellers and have like literally wasted all the value of that money yeah or even spend a thousand dollars and delete the app yeah yeah, and nothing is safe. And I, I don't know that the game even like retains state between devices, does it? I haven't tried moving from like an iPhone to no, an iPad. No, do, at least it doesn't for me. Like it's I don't local. I mean, okay. but iCloud and shit like almost never works, so, you know, <laughs> like whatever. Um, but yeah, and and what's what's crazy about how well the game is monetizing is so when you buy the in-app purchase item in the game is these lunch boxes that you get. Right. And the lunch boxes include cards, which is kind of a weird way to give you stuff, I think, but like it's it's basically like the the gotcha mechanic mm-hmm. of give us money you will get something random at yeah. least one thing will be of rare value which you know like who even really knows what that means right um and it kind of sucks because like a lot of times like i'm limited by the amount of caps i have yeah nothing else so you can exactly. spend money 
unlock a lunchbox and then like maybe you'll get like some water, some electric, like a shitty gun you don't need. And Mm -hmm. then like, you know, a piece of armor or something like that. Right. And like if the whole reason you were spending money was to get caps so you could build a new room, like you can't directly control what you you get. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's really frustrating. And they didn't add that as an, like, I mean, it would be interesting if you had both mechanics where it's like, well, you can get a random thing and you might get more stuff um, and a variety of stuff, or you can just buy things directly. Like there's no way to do the direct buy. Well, see, I, I think this game like really reeks of them being like, hey, contracting company that does big brand stuff makes a game. Right. And, like, and that's the end of the discussion. Not well, like, yeah. all right, you know, make this game. All right, cool. Let's, you know, see how it does. Like, let's look at the app store and and compare like the features and functionality and, you know, yeah, retention absolutely. and all that stuff. Like, like if if they had approached this, like any typical free-to-play developer does, like the game would be so different. It's ridiculous. And that Definitely is have, right. almost super fascinating to look at this in that way because there are so many missteps that they made that any serious free-to-play outfit would have not even soft-launched with some of the things in the game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is. I think that's a great way to 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 illustrate why the differences existed. Because I mean, when I'm imagining it went something like this. I mean, so Bethesda goes to Behavior and says, "Hey, we need this advert game. Um, it'd be cool if it was free to play, and feel free to add some mechanics that might maybe make some money." And they yeah. ended up. Or building they might a game. even been like, "Hey, the Tiny Tower seems cool. What if it was Tiny Tower Revolts?" Yeah, exactly. You know? And so, so they, so, and then I think, given that Behavior, to my knowledge, doesn't do a lot of free to play work, they they didn't have a sense of like, okay, it needs to monetize in this way. And we're gonna have this monetization plan, and we're gonna do these things. And there's gonna be this user testing, and then we're gonna soft launch this thing. By the way, notice that they didn't do a soft launch at all. Right. Um. So, so they didn't go through the same pathway because they didn't need to. Right. Their business wasn't built on this making a lot of money. It was just like, let's get this contract done and get paid. Um, so, so their, their, their motivations were completely different. And it's, I think it's, it was a happy accident that it ended up monetizing so well. And I think it does that just on the back of like, I love fallout. I want to spend money on anything that says fallout on it. Right. And I think they would have been happy if it didn't monetize too, because yeah, I don't think it would have made a difference. A fallout advert game. I think exactly. at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. So. Um, so, so that's probably why we see a lot of those, those issues. Now, what's interesting also comparing this to free to play games that have been successful, there's no real capacity for any kind of live ops here. Right. Where like there's no way to do events. There's no way to do like giveaways. There's not really any um, there's not really any community interaction at all. No, um, like you can't what, even really share your vault aside from just taking a screenshot and tweeting it. Yeah, there isn't. All of those things are missing. And so these are these are like when you look at the 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 success of free to play games, like these are extremely valuable features from a monetization perspective, like in game chat, those types of things. And so uh, not having that. Uh, again, points me to the direction that this was not built to be a successful free to play game. It just happened to be. It's like the Flappy Bird of yes, that is the perfect <laughs> of way to put it. The, it totally, totally, hundred percent. That is the best way to put it. Um, I don't know. It, it's 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 crazy. This is like I don't know. It, what's it's what's wild about the Flappy Bird comparison is that is another game that could have been so much better and made so much money, and everyone looking at it is like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, and. You know, I guess it's gone from the app store. So, yeah, you know, he yeah. didn't care. And, and I don't think Bethesda cares, which is kind of brain breaking when it's like, do you realize how much money you're leaving on the table right now? Right. It's it's funny, too, that like, I mean, from the perspective of a large publisher like Bethesda, their their main focus is still Fallout 4. But, right. um, you know, I, I don't I, I don't really know the numbers on previous Fallout games, but I would I would wager to say that if they had taken this game and, and pushed it to a like machine zone level like gone game of war with it and added all that stuff that it needs maybe after the fact like maybe this was just a really like big soft launch and they added all those things they still can and they add all those things and they they grow it to this this hugely successful product they're probably going to make more on it in a durable way than than fallout 4 would 
Oh yeah, without without question. And, I mean, and these especially... games are these games are businesses, right? I mean, Game of War is making whatever it's making, like over a billion or eight hundred million or whatever it is a year, uh, year over year. Right. Um, while with a lot of these these PC console games, I mean, you're looking at like a 22, 28 day window where you earn most of your um, right, and then you have to support revenue. it for years anyway. Yeah, exactly. And so, I don't so know. it's 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 really funny. Like they've they've like stumbled on this gold mine, and then based on their kind of thinking and strategy, they're not really able to uh, execute on it. But can you imagine what their inbox is like? Whoever is responsible for this product, like the amount of people emailing them from the various like. Uh, ad networks and middleware oh providers <laughs> and analysts and monetization experts and everything else. Like I, I bet it was just a total shit show. Supersonic ads has like eight ad sales managers that are just like on the call every day. Like every actually hour, one camped of them calls out them. outside of Bethesda right now. Yeah. In a tent. They're getting for someone. They're getting bought so many coffees as we speak. <laughs> but yeah, I mean like, I mean, even from like a technical standpoint, I mean like the game looks great and when you play it and stuff like that, it's, you know, it, it doesn't crash or anything, but even the load times are ridiculous for this kind of game. And that's Unity, mostly, I think. Um, but, yeah, I guess. But it's <laughs> it's borderline unacceptable. It's though. really I mean, long. Well, and it's two stages, too. Like, there's the loading for the menu and then the loading of the game. And they're both, yeah, all, all put together. I think it takes at least 45 seconds to get in. Yeah, I mean, because, like, I, the more I was thinking about it, like, I started, actually, I went back to Tiny Tower and... Uh, you know, have a, a pretty decent sized tower. I mean, I'm not you yeah. know, crazy or anything of it. Um, I can do all of the tasks that I need to do inside of my tiny tower in the time that it takes for this game to load. Right. Right. Which seems like a significant problem when yeah, it does. So much of so much of what you do in this game is just like, oh, my resources are done. All right, let mm-hmm. me like go through and right. you know, click all my stuff. Um, absolutely. And and I don't want to get on my high horse or anything, but like we build 3D games. I, I know that it's not an issue of like what they're loading and their graphics being so high res. Or there, there is a way to make this game launch in like less than three seconds. Um, yeah. It's it's totally doable. It's just a matter of you know how they've chosen to use Unity, how they're loading their assets, how those assets are stored. It's It all just sort of sounds like it's something that was outside of, of their, their, their focus. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, on that on that note of resources, though, sorry to interrupt you. Oh, you know, one go. of the things that this game doesn't do a very good job of, like, I don't really know how the game works when I'm not playing it. Like, I, I have some yeah, idea of 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 how like resources are kind of going down, or some stuff happens when I'm not there. And there's also that like daily rating that happens, but it seems to be arbitrary. Like, I'm gonna like sometimes leave my vault when everything's fine and the resources are all full, and then I'll come back and like it's at, like 20 percent happiness, and yeah. I, and I just got a D rating. Yeah, it makes no sense, and like the the ui for managing like your different dudes is right. absolutely atrocious too yeah, yeah. um because like you have no like so for instance one of the one of the things you do a lot in tiny tower is kind of like look at all right who doesn't have a job right now yep. let me slot them into like the best place that i can yeah and once your vault grows to a certain i would say above like 20 25 people or whatever managing optimizing where your individual guys goes is just a nightmare because mm-hmm. like you can see like the whole list of everything but you don't really have any kind of indication of like like all right well you know this guy's working here and he's like most optimized for here and this guy doesn't have a job right now so move him over here right like it's it seems like the best way to do that is just by zooming in and visually scanning around and looking at every single guy which is so tedious that right, i just right. haven't done it like well and it's still misleading too because when they're on coffee break oh by the way and the fact that coffee break means unemployed was like i didn't understand that for the first like half of my playtime. yeah <laughs> i was just like oh okay they're on coffee break and then they're going to go back to their regular job right yeah it, it, but it actually means fun employed so um 
Yeah, no, and 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 the whole dragging mechanic, like I'm always missing or dropping them in the wrong place, and, and then scrolling you can't mechanics really, bad too. In like yeah. inventory management, when you're going yeah. to equip something, like that's yeah. also terrible. And like the whole like losing weapons thing, like you know, like oh, okay, there were rad roaches in one room, so I gave everybody like plasma rifles and laser guns and whatever, and then and then I have a raider attack, and I have no idea where those guns are. Yeah, uh, and then they're like fighting them with like the rusty pea shooter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't. And what sucked for me is like I have. Um, you know, I've, I've spent like, I don't know, like $25 on this game just because whenever I play a free to play game, like I always, always want to see, like, you know, I play it first for free. Yeah. Like, like understand the experience for free for like a week or so. And then like I throw some cash at it and see like what the major difference is. And like this game seems like the major difference is I got a bunch of crap that I don't really need. Mm-hmm. And I got a ton of weapons. And of the good weapons that I got, like I equipped those to the guys that it seemed like it made the most sense for them to have. And like I couldn't tell you at all where those weapons are right like no way to find them. you know like like my whatever, like the legendary quality person. like laser gun that does insane damage is just somewhere in my vault yeah no idea where it. it is it's one of the children yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's it's interesting so yeah all, all in all I'm, I'm i'm i like this game because of the fallout universe i don't know that if it weren't fallout uh would no I one would play, play it. it. I don't no think one, so. No one would play so. it at all. And they, they have done a good job, though, of recognizing the IP. So I, I really appreciate that they did bring in characters from the other games. Um, and they did a really good job with, like... You can get duplicates you of can? those characters. Yeah. Oh, dude, that, that fucking ruins it for me. It is ridiculous, yeah, because I, I have two scribe Rothschilds in Aww. my vault right now. Like, I got I got the first one in one of my first lunchboxes. I was like, oh, sick, that's amazing. And then, like, on my first IAP buy, I got another duplicate. Oh, that sucks. Oh, that ruins so. everything. <laughs> I'm sad now. Yeah. Anyway, well, that, okay, so that's too bad. But but I like that they added a little bit of lore to it. You know when they're out on the um, uh, outside doing the, the whole wasteland thing? Yeah. That was, like, totally... So that's a great example of, like, why the, the free-to-play design methodology not using it sometimes adds things to a game like i don't feel like machine zone or any of these companies would have ever thought to like have this like little like story diary of like what they're doing when they're out there well that also was, no free-to-play company would ever allow you to just rush production of something so with right a yeah without paying failure. something yeah isn't right. that interesting i mean it, there's there's aspects of this that i i like in that it plays like a real game like with the free-to-play stuff, like free-to-play companies typically in their game design, is, they're very consistent in how they apply the costs. Like you start to be like, okay, yeah, I want to do this thing that seems like it's going to make things better. It's definitely going to cost me money or right. hard currency or whatever. I mean, like, you always, you're used always, to getting, always, yeah, you're used yep. to getting charged by for for things that like right. anything Especially, that you want to go faster. Like there's right. just no way you're going to get that for free. Right, hundred um, percent. And in this, they they let you do that, which is like it's it's refreshing in a weird way. It makes me wonder if the success... So in the app store, you always see people kind of looking at what's successful and being like, oh, well, let me implement this in my game. Because yeah. clearly the, the reason that Fallout Shelter is successful is because of, you know, like the specific <laughs> one feature, right? Yes, totally. But um, I think it'd be fascinating to see what happens if the rush mechanic being switched to kind of like a risk-reward system in more games wouldn't result in better retention and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's actually have some, some game mechanics in the game. I, I, there's this idea that like if we miss out on taking advantage of every single mechanic and guiding it toward hard currency, uh, we're not going to monetize as well. And it might be true, but I think maybe I mean, for sure this type true. of retention. Like, but yeah, because the, the friends of mine that really enjoy this game that are, you know, the very stereotypical like hardcore gamer hate free-to-play stuff, like yeah. that is why they like this mm-hmm. is because like there are timers in it, but you can kind of skip them if you want. But 
like you, you probably don't want to once you get up above like 60% failure and stuff right. like that. And right. at that point you just come back later. Well, and the timers so, are really short. We're talking like a couple minutes. It's, right. it's not like a, like a come back in 15 hours for the, there's nothing that takes 15 hours. And even the, the longest timers are like when you're training people in the strength rooms and the perception rooms and whatever. Uh, I think those, the, those the are still only timer like, is the radio station, which gives you one three. guy every day. I think. Yeah. Or 12 hours, maybe, yeah, that's or something true. like right. that. Right. But I mean, that's like the, considering your, your progress in the game is how many followers you have, like that, having that be the longest timer makes sense. Like that's mm-hmm. not a problem. Yeah, it think. is. It is. It's fine. And you don't want that to grow too quickly either. Yeah. It's just like, that's you, the, the game would be odd if you're, you're doubling your, your population every, yeah. every time you play. But I mean, like, like now I've, I've heard people, um, you know, people that are in the, the free to play analyst industry talking now that, that retention is king. Like there's nothing nothing better than retention. Retention is even more important than monetization right now for some people. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's hard to think of a better way to retain players than having them... I mean, at the end of the... All right, so imagine it this way. Like, so when you speed up your power plant, you can do it like three or four times before your Mm -hmm. failure rate is so high that there's like not much point in doing it. Right. So at that point, you know, you see the timer, you just come back later. So Mm -hmm. as a gamer, your reaction to that is like, uh, I could try this, but you know, I'm just—I know it's just going to fail. So whatever, I'll just—you know—I'll just come back next time I load the game. Right. As opposed to having essentially the exact same mechanic in the game without the—that's um, interesting. The illusion of speeding it's, up. It's an illusion. You're still well, getting the timer. Yeah, there's a choice. Like you can take the timer. Yeah, exactly. I like that. It's like it's a, it's a soft wall. Yeah. Rather than a hard one. And but there's no speed up, so it's interesting. Like if they'd added a thing like. You can, I mean, there's so many monetization hooks here, right? Like you could have a thing that's like, okay, reduce the chance back to 20%. Pay right. hard currency. Uh, make the guy train faster in the strength room. Hard currency. Um, like buy dwellers. Like there's so many different um, little pieces to it. But yeah, you're right. So I think giving giving gamers this 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 illusion of choice tends to really soften the, the backlash. Because it's like I'm choosing to... Um, take this risk here i don't know but then again the choice isn't tied to any kind of purchase at the same time if it were i'm curious what that mechanic would look like yeah i don't know because like i've 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 gotten into some kind of intense arguments with friends of mine that are staunch free-to-play haters about like well this is a free-to-play game it's just disguised differently like why don't you realize that because you're still hitting a timer (laughs) yeah when yeah if you rush five times like you're still hitting a timer where you need to wait and they're like, well, it's not but the you same. Can't, you can't do anything to make that weight better. I think that's right. the key. They're not. It's not a pain point. It's not a what do they call it? a pinch point um, to make you spend. It's just like here's how the game works. It's like, well, in Mario, you can't have like infinite lives. You've got to die and have game overs. It's like the, it 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 brings you back to more classical game. But uh, I don't like game what's so what's always so crazy to me about stuff like that is I look at that as like, oh well, that's optional. I don't need it. Like mm-hmm. even though I could spend money, like whatever. I I don't I don't have to. Right kind of thing which is kind of well and so what what compelled you to buy apart from you know wanting to spend 25 dollars to do research but like what compels you to buy a lunchbox uh me personally or me as just a player no you personally uh just seeing what happens just so i can have a, a better understanding of how the mechanics work and the value proposition of the iap and <laughs> i guess like the nuts and bolts of the game i guess okay, but okay. as a player um i think I, I, that's that's what I don't understand about how this game is monetizing so well because as a player the value proposition seems almost non-existent. It is. It is almost non-existent. It's almost like a, for me it's like I kind of want to collect the, uh, the the special characters. 
Like, yeah, I mean, I guess collecting the special characters, but they're so rare that, yeah. like, after you do, like, your first not IAP buy, yeah, right. it becomes very obvious it's not practical to be like, all right, well, I'm going to spend $100 and get every dude because There's no way. You, yeah. you might not. You might get 10 of the same. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get 10 eulogy Joneses and that'll be it. Yeah. So Three I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know. I it's just that that is the, if you could put the, my finger on like the one thing that seems the craziest about this whole thing is that it is monetizing so